0: Welcome to The Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States.
1: Hello, this is Cheryl and I'm sitting here with Kirsten and this, we want to welcome you to The Feathered Desert podcast. And today we're going to talk about the southwest region of Arizona. And I've titled this one, A Cactus and Four Birds. So Arizona is full of amazing wilderness areas. And one of these areas is the Saguaro National Monument. The protected area is split up by the I-10, if you're familiar with the south part of Arizona. So the larger area for hiking and backpacking is east of the I-10. It's a beautiful landscape full of so many sororos and wildflowers and other desert plants with mountains as your backdrop. The visitor center is on the west side of the I-10. There's great hiking and even backpacking allowed in that protected area. I love this place. I have been there several times. Um, it's just the best of everything in the desert that the desert has to offer nice Um, so if you don't know what a saguaro is kirsten's gonna give us that scoop
0: yes and as cheryl just said for those of you who do not know what a saguaro is what is a saguaro a saguaro cactus it is spelled s-a-g-u-a-r-o generally pronounced saguaro it is a tree-like cactus that can grow to be over 40 feet tall and we're not joking it is native to our Sonoran Desert. Generally, it's the only place that swears are actually found is in the Sonoran Desert, not just here in Arizona, but in the whole Sonoran Desert that encompasses all the different areas here and into Mexico. Sueros have a relatively long lifespan. I don't know, relatively long lifespan. That kind of seems like it's just like ah, eh, they can often exceed 150 years. That is a long lifespan. Now, we've
1: got saguaro cactus that were here before we had a revolutionary war. I yes. Mean, before we, as the United States, was the United States.
0: Yeah, my goodness, that's amazing. Uh, they may grow their first arm around 75 to 100 years of age. 75 to 100 years of age. Uh, And some may never grow arms at all. And that's what you typically see is one with two arms. That's the little iconic image that everybody thinks of them. Um, Now, how do they live this long? A saguaro can actually absorb and store considerable amounts of water during um, uh, the monsoon season, and then they will use that for the rest of the year. And it's really actually very cool because you can literally look at your sagueros. So right now we're in the middle of an actual, as people have told me, a real monsoon season where it's actually raining almost every day here. And um, you can go out and look at your saguaro cactus and it looks like one of those accordion fo- file folders. When you have um, a bunch of stuff in each folder, the, they get fat, like the little um, ridges Ridges get super fat. And then in the summertime, they'll be really skinny. And so that's where they do, they collect all that rainwater inside of them and that's how they survive. Uh, that also is one of the ways that they help others survive. So here in the Sonoran Desert, it's actually a keystone species and especially in Arizona. And a keystone species means that it provides food and habitat to a large number of other species and plants. And plenty of birds and mammals all depend on the saguaro cactus uh, to help them survive through the hot desert um, drought times
1: as well. So uh, there are conservation concerns about this amazing cactus. And I know I have mentioned the saguaro cactus in a plant spotlight in one of our podcasts. Yes. But I couldn't find it. So you'll just have to it's listen all to one them of all. Them. It's, it's all one of them, you're gonna to have to listen to them all. But there is conservation concerns with this with this plant. And just as a side note, two out of five native plants in the in North America, maybe even the world, is on the is endangered. Yeah. So we are really um, need to support our plants. But a, 20, a 2018 report by the National Park Service found that climate change, drought, invasive plants like buffelgrass grass and stink net, which we have talked about, and activities such as wood cutting and cattle grazing have left fewer saguaro seedlings to replace aging and dying saguaros. So researchers went out into our national monument, our protected areas of the saguaros, and they collected data in a long-term study And um, the monument actually contains over 10,000 saguaro cactuses. That's a lot. Yes, but the problem is that the researchers counted just 70 that were less than a foot in height, which equates to less than 15 years old.
0: Well, that's not a lot of youngsters. That's
1: not sustainable. No. saguaros are pretty much confined to the Sonoran Desert, like Kirsten shared, and they need just the right conditions of heat versus cold summer moisture to survive. And seedlings cannot hold much mo- moisture, so they m- are much more vulnerable. So the saguaro is, a fed- like I said, a federally protected and state protected plant and Kirsten has our first bird
0: yes and this one will surprise some of you those of you who have lived here for a long time we actually have purple martins in the desert and the desert purple martin absolutely loves the saguaro just like we do purple martins are actually the largest swallow in North America our Sonoran desert has its own subspecies called the desert purple martin And both sexes are smaller than the Eastern Purple martin. so those of you who are familiar in the Midwest and the East Coast, Purple Martins are pretty common, and big colonial nesters. Um, These guys are their own separate subspecies. They're considered related, but what happened is they all kind of bred with each other in this side of the country, which makes them just a tiny bit different. So a little bit smaller, and the female is a little bit paler than the Eastern Purple Martin female. Our desert purple martin nests almost exclusively in the saguaro cactus. All purple martins migrate to South America for the winter, but the purple martins that visit our desert here in the Sonoran area, they use different times, so they're not migrating at the exact same time as our East Coast cousins. They'll actually arrive later than other subspecies, and they'll take advantage of insect abundance during the monsoon season.
1: I thought that was so fascinating.
0: It really is. It's amazing. It's shown how well adapted they have become to their own specific environment, which is cool.
1: And um, earlier in the um, century, I don't know when exactly, maybe around the um, 50s, when pest controls were really, really high, Mm. the purple martin had quite a decline, especially in the Midwest to the East. And that never affected our subspecies. Oh, that's good. So they had made the decision prior to that. Because a lot of citizen science can be credited with... um, Bringing the Purple Martin back.
0: Oh, yeah. Putting up those colonial houses and stuff. I used to live in Maryland. For those of you who have listened to this podcast before, you know that. And there's Purple Martin houses everywhere. The house that we moved into when we were in Maryland had a Purple Martin house set up in the back area. So they're everywhere. So that really helped them increase their population. Yeah.
1: So go Purple Martin fans. Yes. So a bird and a cactus are two really great reasons to venture down to the Saguaro National Monument. But what you will need to know is there is a fee. There is no Wi Fi, so leave your laptop at home. Yeah. And there's very poor cell phone reception, so I'm sorry, Facebook posting won't be possible. <laughs> um, it's primitive camping, and there's actually no campers allowed. So, you, as far as the physical vehicle, camping, you hike in, you hike out, you must bring all your trash out and belongings out of the monument you there's no trash cans I know from experience there's nothing you gotta pack it in and pack it out you must have a permit um for certain areas depending on how far you go back there or you can make reservations I think it depends whether you're on the east side or the west side um, okay. near the visitor center I've always I'm only I've hiked on the east side but I've only camped on the west oh. side of the monument Um, There are designated uh, camp areas, and that's the only places that you can camp. And the wildlife that you will see is um, really astounding. So in the higher elevations, you may encounter black bear, mountain lions, Arizona king snake, white-tailed deer, and the Mexican spotted owl which I actually have seen. Awesome. At the lower elevations, you may see coyotes, desert tot- tortoise, rattlesnakes, which I sat next to, <laughs> mule deer, claw and an array of birds such as the phana the hooded oriole, and the Montezuma quail, which Kirsten's going to tell us about.
0: Yes, we did cover a little bit about the Montezuma quail, just real quick, when we did our quail podcast podcast. Um, A couple months ago but this quail I would really love to see in the wild. This is a small-headed round-bodied quail with a very short tail. The males actually have harlequin facial patterns I mean they literally look like they've been painted and a deep chestnut breast and white spots on their sides. The Montezuma quail is a phantom of a bird that hides in the mountain grasslands and the oaks woodlands of Mexico. Its range barely creeps into the southwestern U.S., but you may see this bird in the shrubby brush of our Sonoran Desert. Its population is increasing, which, yay, that doesn't happen very often at all, and this beautifully marked quail is moving north. So give them a, well, if we're still here in 20 years, then maybe we'll get to see some. Uh, This bird is something of a homebody, moving as little as 150 feet per day, which is amazing how big their population must be getting if they're willing to move that far. If you're only living in 150 square feet, really, of, of movement, there's got to be a lot of them. So that's really good. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. Um, so it does um, what it's doing all day, and it's a little 150 feet there. Or they're digging for tubers, acorns, and insects under the dense grasses uh, that they live in. And these birds travel in pairs or in small family groups, so they don't form uh, form large coveys like our. Um, Our other quail that we see here are Gamble's quail that are real common to see, like 20 or 30 of them sometimes throughout the year. These guys tend to stay in smaller family groups, probably from a mated pair up to their children, um, which I think they can have up to eight kids at a time. I think that's max for these guys. So just smaller little groups for them. But I would love to see these guys in the wild. They literally, they look like they've been painted, like they're little ceramics and they've just been painted. The males are just so beautiful.
1: And they're moving in, that and
0: they're moving thing? in. Yeah, yes. I'm excited. That's, Move into my house. That's yes. okay.
1: <laughs> okay. So other areas of the of in the Southwest Arizona. So there's the Yuma. Everyone who has traveled to San Diego and has taken the southern route through Arizona has driven through Yuma. Uh, The Colorado River area. The lower Colorado River in Arizona abounds with scenic beauty and wildlife. And this area includes the COFA National Wildlife Refuge, the Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge, the Trigo Mountain Wilderness Area, and the Cibola Cibola. I would go with Cibola. Cibola National Wildlife Refuge. Now, the Trigo and the Cibola are known for bighorn sheep sightings. Awesome. The lower Colorado River area around Yuma is well known for a bird called the Ridgeways Whale. Rail. Not whale. Not whale. Excuse me. (laughs) It is a handsome gray and rusty colored bird that lives most of its life concealed in dense vegetation. It uses its formidable bill to probe into muddy wetlands for invertebrate prey. And it lives in the saltwater marshes, freshwater marshes, and the mangrove swamps in California, Arizona, Nevada, and coastal coastal western Mexico and it is endangered Mm. and we do have a small area that is protected that that bird resides in and the Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge is about one hour southwest of Tucson. I've actually been there. It is 117,000 464 acres it's a refuge filled with semi-grasslands that blend cottonwoods and willow along riverbanks I mean we're in a desert yeah and when you're driving to Yuma on the way to San Diego where you're going to see the Pacific Ocean you don't expect to see know that this is there
0: yeah tucked, run into a wet area in yeah. there
1: and it's a dirt road and wetlands within this refuge, there is sycamore-shaded, there's a sycamore-shaded canyon, which is the, actually what um, prompted us to turn off the road and, and go there, um, called Brown Canyon, which is home to 200 million year old volcanic rocks. Wow. This area supports a distinct variety of plants and animals that have evolved within this amazing Sky Island ecosystem. Uh, Saguin. So we had this word. Senegal, maybe? Senegal Refuge is, um, is an area along the Ar- Arvaca Arverica Creek, Aravaca Aravaca creek? creek <laughs> with the abundance Spanish, with the yes. abundance of birds. Brown Canyon is west of the creek area, nestled in the, oh, here we go, Bavbo Cuevare. That's pretty good. Mountains these mountains are the most western sky island mountains and pronghorn and mule deer are found here as well very and cool Here's going myself tell us about a bird in the buenos aires national wildlife Refuge.
0: yes so if we're going to visit the buenos aires national wildlife refuge it was actually established to help a specific bird the masked bob white quail so if you go there keep your eyes out for that since he's the one that made this happen This bird is found only in the Sonoran Desert and the semi-desert regions of extreme southern Arizona and northern Mexico. The masked bobwhite quail males have fully black heads and reddish-brown underparts. They lack the facial markings, the white facial markings, and extensive white dots of the Montezuma quail, so don't get them confused. This quail is very vocal, or sorry, very social, probably vocal. If you're very social, you talk a lot usually found in coveys of 3 to 20 individuals, enjoying early morning foraging in thickets of shrubs and grasslands, and then in the late afternoon, they start foraging again. So keep an eye out for those if you're in the Buenos Aires National Wildlife, and probably they are pretty vocal. When you have that many birds around, you're going to just talk a lot. You just have to.
1: They're a subspecies of the northern bobwhite. Oh, interesting. They Very cool. They just called it, it's, um, it has a black... Well, like a mask, face like masked it's wearing face, like a hooded mask. with the northern bobwhite doesn't. So they just tacked masks. Masks bobwhite on there? And then gave it quail. I don't know why. But really, nobody but asks it, us when they need birds. Yeah, they don't ask <laughs> when they need them. But what I found fascinating is that the Montezuma's quail, it's the way it socializes, And it's increasing and expanding. And this um, bobwhite, the masked bobwhite quail, the way it socializes, and it's um, needed a place to be reestablished. Yeah,
0: bigger quantities of them. Larger groups of them. Yeah, it's very interesting how these birds that are in the same place adapt to different portions of the environment for their best survival.
1: Because you wouldn't think that. You would think that the bobwhite, because of how it socialize it, yeah. would be more successful. Yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting. So um, Arizona has so many different landscapes to enjoy and explore with wildlife and especially bird life that is so diverse. And there's plenty of opportunities available to enjoy it if you're willing to get up early and yes. get dirty and bring lots of water. Yes. And so I know Kirsten has this question, the best time to do any of this since we cannot predict how the heat... Um, is between October 1st and April 30th. I have been there um, down there in September. It's a little warm, so if you can't take the heat, don't go. And mm. I have been there in May, and again, you say the, the same thing. So starts a little warm, yeah. It's a little warm. So if anyone's heat sensitive or that's just not their thing.
0: Nice. And these are birds, except for our purple martins, Although the Purple Martins should still be there during that time, maybe just beginning to migrate in October. And then the other quail don't migrate, so they should be there all year round. Yeah,
1: they should be there all year round. But I just thought the Purple Martins were so cool.
0: Oh, it's a very fascinating (laughs) uh, story. I didn't honestly know that we had Purple Martins here. I totally thought that they were a Midwest and Eastern bird, and we didn't even have them here. So I was really excited when you told me that we uh, had them here in the desert it's just one way of showing you how adaptive birds are they can you give them what they need which is a little shelter a little food and a little water and they can adapt to anything
1: yep and arizona has a lot to offer for birds and for us if you're willing like i said to get up early and early early is at sunrise when yes. the birds are up yes so that's not eight or nine after breakfast no, exactly that means you pack your breakfast and you take it with you and you take it with you <clears throat> yes